0: If you've got Matthew chapter 2 open, uh, verses 1 to 12, that'd be, that'd be good. We'll just be referring to it a bit later on. Um, well, I'd like to pray as well, if that's all right. Um, Father, just pray for now, this moment. Uh, Father God, that you would just use everything that, that I say, Father, for your glory. That, Lord, each one of us will hear what we need to hear, Father God, even if it's not what's well said. Um, that, Lord, everything would glorify and honour you. And, Lord, anything that doesn't, that you would just remove and that we'd forget. And that, Lord, only things that are for your kingdom, for building up of your people and your church, will be what's heard now, I pray. Pray your Holy Spirit, Father, uh, that we would have open hearts to what he wants to say to us from your throne, from your very heart. And that, Lord, uh, you would just work through us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is the second Sunday of Advent. okay. We have the same conversation every year. Uh, the closer we get to Christmas, the more woohoo's I, I hope to have from you. Um, even if you don't feel like it, just do it for me, if no one else. Um, but it's good. I won't go on with that too much. Anyway, so second Sunday of Advent, we're getting closely, getting sl- slowly edging towards the, the big day, the 25th. Anyone bought their turkey yet? Anyone bought their Christmas presents? Anyone bought all their Christmas presents? No, okay. <laughs> really, Seriously. Wow, Um, that's pretty good there. Um, So, okay, anyone not started at all? (laughs) Okay, good, you've got ages, absolutely ages. Petrol stations are open on Christmas Day, I hear. Don't panic. Anyway, so I remember as a child, um, December, being agonisingly slow. I think I may have told you this uh, every year, uh, let alone last year. And I remember just getting to about the 5th of December and thinking, come on, hurry up, Christmas, please. And I used to go to bed thinking, I'll just sleep. And that'll get it done, and I'll be a bit closer to Christmas Day. And every night, when it got to double figures, my evenings would slow down. Nights would go on for at least three days. And when we got to the 20th of December, I genuinely would wake up every single morning thinking, sorry, um, thinking, it's Christmas Eve, only to discover still the 20th. And then the next morning, I'll wake up, now it's Christmas Eve. No, it's the 21st, Etc. Etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, Drove my poor mum absolutely round the twist, uh, up and down, all sorts of things. Um, but I used to get very excited. One particular year, my excitement levels that were already no- normally quite high, went through the roof. Um, I think I've told you this story as well, but some of you are new, and you won't have heard it, so that's okay. The rest of you can pretend. Um, my brother, who up until that point in my life, wasn't very nice, I won't lie to you. If you see he's coming Christmas Day, you can say to him, shame on you, I don't mind. Um, I've got quite a lot of years of baggage to get off my chest. Uh, he wasn't very nice when I was growing up. He was a typical 3 year older big brother, um, delighted in hitting me with his slipper and uh, upsetting me and uh, and generally being first at everything and uh, not letting me have more than one go when he had at least 17. Well, it's like a therapy session, isn't it? Anyway, and uh, one year he said to me, uh, Gary, I've got you some presents for Christmas. Is that really? I said, "Yeah." How many? And he said, 12. I said, you're kidding. 12 presents? I've got nothing. Anyway, and then he said to me, yeah, four of them are large, five are medium, and three are small. And the nine-year-old boy that I was then, or eight, my mind went into overdrive. I imagined, what are the four large presents? Like a television, or a drum set, or a car, who knows? The mind boggles. He's got no money. Uh, What are the five medium presents? Could be all sorts of things. The three small, maybe chocolates. I got very, very excited, And, and as the 20, 10 to 21st, and then the 21st.5, and then 21st, and 22nd, as it heads towards Christmas Day. Christmas morning, I woke up 4 o'clock in the morning. Why I get annoyed with my own children when they do it? At 4 o'clock in the morning, I got up, I went into his brother, my, his, my brother's bedroom. Morning, bro. And he was like, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I said, Can I have my presents? And he said to me, Yeah, yeah, all right. And he gave me my 12 presents. Every single one of them was, to put it politely, rubbish that he didn't deem good enough for his own life, that he didn't even bother rapping. So I had four bits of whatever, five large, medium bits of rubbish, and three small bits of rubbish. My brother denies this story to this day, but I promise you it happened. (laughs) Because I wouldn't forget a thing like that. You can offend me in all sorts of ways, but do not promise me presents and do not deliver. I will never let it go. But isn't it true that actually... Um, One of the ways we show love for other people is by what we give them. I know we like to pretend that it's not about the gift, it's the spirit in which it's given. There's something in that. But isn't it true, actually, that sometimes you know how much someone feels about you, by how much effort they've gone into, and sometimes how much they've spent, depending on who you are and the situation you're in. Andrea told me a few years ago, and I think I've told you this as well before, apparently there are nine languages of love. Um, Did you know that there are nine languages of love? There's the obvious one. Language, um, where you can say to somebody, I love you, and they go, thanks, and, uh, and so you know you love them. Uh, so language of love are how you express love to somebody. Another language of love um, are things like letter writing. You know, you might write a little post-it note saying, uh, dear... Dear my cherub, I'll see you tonight when you get in from work. That's the sort of thing I write, obviously. Um, but I, we knew one old couple from our old church, and, uh, and they're in their mid-80s, and they still wrote each other little love notes, and they hid them in the, in the kitchen drawer with the knives and forks or under the pillow when they woke up. And I thought, what a lovely thing to do. Um, so that's a language of love. Another language of love is sort of simply touch, you know, holding hands or, you know, kind of a pat on the shoulder or an arm round, that kind of thing. But there's one other language of love, and that is the giving of of stuff, and um, particularly the receiving of stuff. So one of the, another way that people show love is by giving presents to each other, and I need you to know, especially this morning, that one of the ways I feel most loved is when people give me things. Um, I'm not so bothered about words, I'm not so bothered about touch, I mean you can shake my hand if you really have to, um, but stuff. So I'm going to set a little table, well I'm not there, I'll put it this side, over there, if you want it, that'll be my present table over Christmas. Um, so... But actually, sometimes giving gifts can actually make somebody feel very good. Uh, time for a few jokes, I think. Um, why is a broken drum the greatest present you can give? Come on. Why is a broken drum the greatest present there is? You can't beat it. Thank you, Heather, <laughs> wherever you are. Well done. Where's. Um, oh, I need sand. Okay, another one. Uh, what musical instrument uh, would you give to a fisherman? Thank you. Castanets. Well done, Mary Hooper, there in the middle. Well done. That's very good. Well played. Um, that's a castanet, if you're not sure. Okay, next one. Uh, what would you buy a man who has got flat feet? Foot pump. Okay. What should you get a woman who has got water on the knee? Drain pipe trousers. And finally, what should you buy the man who's already got everything? Penicillin. I've actually written down here, pause for groans as well. Anyway, um, so sometimes when you receive a gift, you see the effort that's gone into it, you actually know how much you mean to someone. A gift given can mean a great deal, can't it? And actually, sometimes giving gifts... Is a a physical way of adding weight to our words. You can tell someone how much you love them, but it's often when the words of love are accompanied by something physical that goes with it, a gift or an expression somehow that they know, actually, you do love me. Back in 1990, a band called Extreme, some of you may be old enough to remember or young enough to remember, depending on where you sit on that fence, um wrote a song called More Than Words. I would sing it, but they sang so high that no man's ever sung it since. And, uh, but the lyrics um, basically talk about the need to show love, not just say love. And uh, I'll just read you a, uh, a few of their lyrics here. It says, saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I don't want you not to say, not that I want you not to say, but if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel, more than words is all you have to do to make it real, then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. And isn't it true that sometimes, actually, the best expression of love is in the giving of something. This morning uh, on this Advent, we're doing a, a series of talks. It's titled Gifts Fit for a King. And we're seeing that across the whole of the Christmas story, we're seeing that every character that encountered Jesus Christ gave him a gift. Um, they gave him the gift of worship. Worship, we said last week, literally means to bow down, to bow down low to someone. What you bow down to in life is what you worship, figuratively, physically, or spiritually. And uh, they all gave Jesus a slightly different gift of worship to each other. Last week, we saw the story of uh, two older people, Simeon and Anna, and we saw how when they came in contact with the eight-day-old Jesus Christ in the temple, they both gave him the gift of worship through their prophetic praise. Prophetic praise, simply to mean, as they spoke the truth of who this baby was—his God's salvation, his God's redemption, his God's hope for the world—they spoke uh, worship. Their worship was their gift of their words from their lips. And this morning, as we look at the wise men, we say that we see them give gifts—actual, physical gifts—to Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their worship is in the giving of physical gifts. That's their language of love, if you like. So we're going to go through the story just for a few minutes uh, and make a few comments. So if you've got it open, that would be good. Verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Um, They reckon that the journey of these, uh, this group, these men... Um, would have covered about a thousand miles no one actually knows of course exactly where they come from but all the scholars that take all the different environmental factors into account and social factors and um, political factors reckon they've traveled about a thousand miles to get to where Jesus Christ was born what's the longest journey you'd make for someone that you've never met before A baby at that. A thousand miles, they reckon. They reckon that this journey would have taken them two years. In fact, most people agree that the wise men arrived, the Magi arrived when Jesus was about two years old. Um, So he's actually not a baby. They don't come the same night as the shepherds, like people uh, so often get it wrong. So, in fact, they're almost the first responders. They see the star at his birth, but they're last to arrive. Um, I would make a joke, but I won't. Um, So easy to be late, isn't it, for things, but they're. They just set out when they see this star. Two years of travel, they reckon, to get to the baby Jesus. Think about that. What does that say about the baby in the manger? That that length of, journey, length of time and the miles they travelled to see Jesus Christ in the, in, the, in the manger in Bethlehem. Verse 2 says, uh, And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. These magi were a great men of science or astronomy and astrology. These were men who had a great understanding, great respect in their particular culture. And they are men of understanding who grasped something of Jesus that nobody else seems to have understood. In fact, all the wise people in Jerusalem completely missed the star, completely missed all the prophecy. They have to be asked to go and check. but these men who have got none of God's word in the Old Testament see the star, recognize the significance, travel a thousand miles to go and worship him. But they understand something that could easily be overlooked. You'll notice in verse 2, they don't ask the question, where is the one who will be king of the Jews? They say, where is the one born king of the Jews? As in right now. The reason they made that massive long journey wasn't because they came to see the next king or an heir to a throne. They went to see an actual king, a king who was king from birth. And it just made me think this week, when you look at the baby Jesus and all the Christmas cards and the films and the nativity scenes that you see, what do you see? Do you just see a little boy who in 30 years' time will become interesting because then he's the saviour? Or do you just see the saviour of the world? He was fully God in the cradle. He was fully God in the womb he's always been God 100% fully God fully man do you see the king when you see the baby don't fall into the world's trap of just seeing an ineffective child who's weak and powerless see the king of kings and bow down and worship they don't come to see an heir they come to see a king verses 3 to 6 say this it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people, Israel. And their arrival, actually, um, and their questions, where is the king of the Jews, completely upsets the apple cart. The whole of Jerusalem, it says, is kind of worked up with these people that come and ask this question. Um, And it mostly upsets an evil, paranoid King Herod. Herod was a nasty bit of work, killed members of his own family, did all sorts of horrendous things. And suddenly these important visitors turn up and say, oh, where's the king? And he's thinking, I'm the king. Hang on a minute. I've got a rival. This is scary. And it's in these three verses that I've just read that you realize that there were almost certainly more than three Magi. Um, people get confused. There are three gifts, but I can guarantee you they're more likely to be between 40 and 100 Magi. Most experts agree that we're talking a huge crowd of people. Some people even speculate that they may well have even had an armed guard that would have followed them. You'll notice that when they um, do the dirty Herod and kind of go back the other way, he's furious with rage, but he doesn't chase after them, does he? He doesn't go and attack them because they're so important, they're so special, that he goes and takes his vengeance out on his own people, such as that man. But they reckon that this was a huge, significant crowd of people. Uh, Often the misconception is three. But actually, why would the whole of a city be wound up by three people asking one question? This is a group of delegates from a foreign land who are considered very, very important. Herod is obviously worried. Um, There's a rival in his midst, and so he gets the scribes and the priests to kind of work out where the child's been prophesied to be born all those years before, and he hatches a plan not to go and worship, as he says, but to kill him as soon as he can. In verses 7 to 9 say this, And Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, so that I too may go and worship. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they go off and they find Jesus. And verse 10 describes their beautiful reaction to finding Jesus Christ, the baby, in the manger with his mother. Verse 10 so, verse 10 says this when they saw the star they were overjoyed when they see the star get to where jesus is being um kept to a, as a two-year-old boy should i say sorry not in the manger anymore you don't keep them in there at two when they get to his house where he's living in bethlehem they're overjoyed it says in verse 10 In a different more literal translation that i've got at home puts it like this they were rejoiced exceedingly i think that's wonderful When was the last time you rejoiced exceedingly anything? When was the last time you were overjoyed? I don't mean laughed a lot with your friends, because you can laugh like that in like a half an hour stint, have a good old laugh and go home and be miserable, can't you? But when was the last time you were overjoyed at something, so overjoyed that it probably changed you for months on end? When did you feel that happy, that joyful, that actually something dramatically changed in your life? You can have a laugh all the time, but having a laugh, It's temporary. It's short-lived and it goes like that really quickly. Joy is a different emotion altogether. It's a fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5 tells us. And when these important men with all their money, all their wealth, all their importance and status find a baby, find a two-year-old boy, should I say, in a poor home in Bethlehem, born to a poor couple who have no consequence to anybody, they are overjoyed because they have laid eyes on the saviour of the world. I wonder this year as a Christian, will my excitement of my presence, that I'm obviously going to get more from you this year, um, and my excitement about oh, having a few days off, about eating food, will that eclipse the joy of worshipping Jesus Christ, the newborn King? As Christians, I really believe that when it comes to Easter and Christmas, we can become almost as blah as the world because we're so used to the story. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, I know it. But actually, these are the most amazing stories the world's ever heard. God becomes a baby, Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin in a poor village who goes on to become a man and dies on a cross, dies, is put in a tomb for three days and comes back to life. And all of it is historically reliable. All of it is world changing. All of it is transformed nation upon nation, person upon person. Do we become as blah about this story as the world around us? Or are we the ones saying, this is amazing? Have you heard about the baby in the manger who's God? Or be saying, oh yeah, it's nice, isn't it? When's the turkey ready? That's what it's really about, isn't it? I wonder, is my joy resting on what the world says Christmas is about? Or is my joy resting on the fact that God became a baby and is my saviour forever and ever and ever? And for those of you who aren't Christians this morning, and I won't try and guess who you are, maybe you're still under the illusion that Christianity is boring. Sometimes we don't help with that, let's be honest, um, as a church. But joy comes mainly, only, properly, through a personal relationship with the God that made you. Everything else is fleeting, temporary, and ultimately hollow. And I suspect you already know that. But you keep doing it, thinking maybe this Friday it will fill the gap. But it never does. Only Christ Can fill that gap. Here's the joy that you are looking for. Stop chasing happiness and find joy in Jesus. So, verse 10, they're exceedingly, they rejoice exceedingly, they're overjoyed as they come. And then, verse 11, um, we read, they bow down, they worship. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down. And worshipped him, and they bowed, and they opened their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. Um, you'll note the smell, spelling of myrrh there. Some of you were well at on Friday evening, and I do know how to spell it. Um, I was accused of not putting enough Rs in it um, when I was asked on Friday nights. Um, but um, they were given their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Imagine the sight of these important men, imagine if there were even just 50 of them coming to the house where Jesus lived with his mum and probably his dad still. Some people say Joseph may well have died at that point. You imagine these men of importance and stature, well respected that they could have an audience with Herod, coming in and seeing Jesus and doing this. Can you imagine that? Imagine the queen going to the poorest house that you could find and seeing a two-year-old boy and laying down prostrate in front of him and then saying, take my gold, you're the real king. Take my incense, take everything. I've come to worship you, not the other way around. I'm your subject, not the other way around. What a sight that would have been to see these important men bowing down in worship to a boy from a poor family in a neighborhood that's considered a backwater at this particular time. What does that tell you about the baby in the manger? That tells you everything you'll ever need to know, in fact. Because if they bow down, I'm going to bow down. If they give me treasures, I'm going to give him my treasures. If they journey to worship him, I'm going to journey to serve him. Because if it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for me. And like last week, I think we need to throw off the shackles of convention as Christians and not be afraid to look foolish for Christ our King. I wonder how publicly we will worship our Saviour this Christmas. Will our friends see us and think, why are you going to church? Will we announce, I will be at church on Christmas Day worshipping the King of Kings. And I don't care what anybody thinks because he is the Lord and he reigns on high. Are we prepared this Christmas to be thought of as stupid and weird as we prostrate ourselves before the baby Jesus? Verse 10, 11 says "He opened their treasures, and I love that verse. They gave him gold, gold which is fit for a king, frankincense, uh, a spice that was used in the Old Testament for rituals, for sacrifice, for worship. That gift is telling us that this Jesus is a priest, but he's also one to be worshipped. He's going to help us know God properly. And then they open the gift of myrrh, often used to fragrance the bodies of the dead, reminding us that this baby has a mission that he will grow to be a man, he will give his life on the cross for the sin of the world, and myrrh will be used at his anointing of his dead body. And so, a thought to take away this morning. How many treasures do you or I have in our houses and our lives? How much money do we have? How many stocks and shares? How many houses or cars? What are our pensions looking like? Our clothes, our shoes, our phones, our computers, how much stuff do we have? Think about those wise men. They have more than you, a lot more. Yet when they saw Jesus, such was the joy of seeing the Saviour that they were happy to give it to Him. I wonder do we still think that what we have is ours as Christians? Do you think that what you have is yours to keep? What I have is mine to keep. The Bible says every good gift comes from above. Everything we have is lent to us by the King of Kings. And he asks his people to use what we have for the benefit of a broken world. Remember those verses from Isaiah 58 fasting is about loosening the chains of injustice, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, not getting ourselves extra clothes so we're more warm, but giving them to those. Who have none. So I hope that this box will be overflowing by the time of the 18th, so that we will make a definite gift to those who have absolutely nothing. And a second thought I wonder are you still searching for happiness? Like I've already said, it's not found in treasures or gold, it's not found in status or symbols or career, it's found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about worship. And we talked about how we can worship Jesus with our words, with our lips, with our praise. But we can worship him with our stuff. And we can say to him this year, you know what, Lord, you can have it all. I wonder if you've ever prayed, not Lord, use me for your glory, but Lord, use all that I have for your glory as well. That's a far more scary prayer, because God may actually take you up on it. But maybe God has given you things so that he can use you to change the lives of other people. Let's worship Jesus this week, not just with our mouths, but with our actions, with our things, for his glory. Let's just pray. Father God, just as we just think about that, Lord, think about those wise men that came, those magi. Father God, I thank you for the examples of worship in the Christmas story. Father God, the world keeps pressurizing us to accumulate, to keep, to save. But Lord, you call us to store up treasures in heaven, not those on earth. Father God, moth and rust can destroy everything we have. Lord, our lives can be called in an instant. But Lord, you call us to use what we have for the benefit of a broken world, for those who are oppressed, those who are poor. Father God, you call us to, uh, when someone asks for our shirt, for our cloak, to give them their shirt, our shirt as well. Father God, you call us to go the extra mile to give to those who would ask. Father God, I long that we would be a people who would hold our stuff so lightly that when somebody has need of it, we don't even think twice to help. Father God, may Sawbridge Worth Congregational Church be a light Lord in dark times, not just with our words, but Lord, with our action. Lord, we know that times are getting tougher Lord, the cost of petrol is going up. The cost of our bills are going up slowly but surely. Father God, may we lead the way again like the church has done for so many years in the past by being the most generous, the most um, wonderful, and stepping in to where people have nothing and saying, Take mine. I have no need of it because I know Jesus. Give us the joy of giving as we worship our Savior. I pray in his name. Amen.